We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's going on, everybody? This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode number 57. Scott, any idea where I'm going to go with number 57? 57s are eluding me right now, so so hit me with it. It's going to be the Romero Mendoza episode, 1996. I figured in honor of the 20th anniversary of the 96 team, it was a good time to honor Romero Mendoza, who was the Swiss Army knife of pitchers. I was going to say, talk about a swing guy. I mean, he, he came in at... Crucial opportunities. He could start when you needed him. He would extend his innings. He was a big number 57. Nice I was, choice. Nice I, choice. I was tempted to go with Brandon Pinder from last year, but I figured that would just drudge up bad memories. I don't think he's earned a spot on the show yet as far as dedicating a number, an episode to. I agree. So hopefully next year, hopefully when we get to 157, since there are no 157s, we can go back to Pinder. Yankees are going to have to go to triple digits eventually with all these retired numbers. It's true. 
I am Andrew Rotondi. You can find me on Twitter at Yankees underscore talk, Scott Reinen at Scott Reinen, and as well as at Bronx Pinstripes, which is the website and show's Twitter page. Scott, how was your weekend? I had a very good weekend. We started a, uh, my wife and I are remodeling our first, the first floor of our house. It's, we're knocking down some walls and and uh, doing just some stuff to open it all up. And uh, so I was doing electrical work and and plaster work and just kind of getting my uh, getting my construction on over the weekend. So yeah, that's uh, that was that was my weekend. I was doing a lot of work. Was that your Valentine's gift to your wife? Yes, it's because it's the Valentine's Day gift. It's her birthday gift. It's her anniversary for like the next four years. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> bundling it. I like. It. <laughs> yeah, it's a good one. It's a it's, it gets me off the hook for a while. I was skiing this weekend up in Vermont, and if you're in the Northeast, you know it was like record low temperatures, and Sunday at the summit of the mountain was negative 36. Jesus. It was insanely cold. We did like two runs, went in, we're like, screw this. It's just way too damn cold to be outside skiing. You you can't have any flesh exposed at no. that point, right? Yeah, they wouldn't, wouldn't even let, covered. they wouldn't let kids at 12 and under on the lift. Wow. Yeah. It was uh, the only good thing was there was nobody on the mountain because we were the only two idiots uh, who were dumb enough to go out there in minus thirty six temperatures. But it was pretty good skiing. I imagine in cold. I'm not Decent. a big skier, but cold colder weather, I would think, it would be the lighter the snow. Is that? Is that yeah, I mean your body. Least, they go hand to hand. Uh, it does, but your body just can't function right. at that sort yeah, of yeah. temperature. You you kind of your body's just like, what the hell are you doing, man? Just go inside, sit by the fire. Drink, drink a nice IPA. Well, that's cool, but it was fun, though. Had a good time? It was. It was a good weekend. Um, and I'm sort of on hiatus until uh, next week. I start a new job, so this is sort of the, the week of Andrew, sort of like the summer of George, but just condensed, Live it up. condensed to a week. Yeah, you have one week to do everything, <laughs> so this this could be a really big week. Yes, yes, it should be. <laughs> it's um, a short week, though, because President's Day, so you got you got some time to make up. Yep, yep. I start uh, Monday, so today's Tuesday. I start next Monday. Very good. Congratulations. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, so we've been we've been talking about it for a few weeks now, but the featured column started this week. Adam Weinrub started it off with the rights of spring. Did you get a chance to read that? Absolutely. It was good. Adam's a really, I mean, he's a phenomenal writer. He uses a lot of imagery in his writing and pretty much just broke down this time of the year for baseball fans and how baseball is is just a, such a different sport than than any of the other big four sports. And because you have, you know, you have certain times of year and, and Adam talks about how the months are completely different and everybody who's a fan of baseball knows, you know, the difference between April and May, May and June, June and July for as far as baseball. It's a it's a very different feeling. So it was a really cool article. It was. It, it, and he's totally right about how you you talk in months when you when it comes to baseball. Oh, don't worry about it. He always gets off to a slow April. He'll come around in May. Right. Oh, when it comes time for June, this team better be heating up. We'll see how they are at July at the All-Star break. October baseball. It is all in months. It's it's pretty interesting when you think about it. No, it absolutely is. And if you think about the, the months of now, we, we've, we've pretty much added another month because a lot of the time now it's going into November. And, and now Derek Jeter has his own month. Which is pretty, which is pretty special because that's uh, that's a that's that's his own month that no one can ever take away from him. Pretty crazy that two Yankees have claimed October and November. Those cannot be claimed by anybody. As it should be. As it absolutely should be. When you when you hang up twenty seven titles and you're chasing for number twenty eight, you should have to. Those two months should belong to your guys. 
the the article definitely got me excited for the start of baseball. This is after football season ends and the weather is starting to turn, although it is still negative 30, you know, up here in the Northeast. But you see the trucks going down to spring training, and I know we're going to spring training in a couple weeks, so I'm sure it'll uh, definitely get us amped for baseball season. Oh, I think more than any, I haven't been to spring training since I was a kid, so this is going to be a lot of fun, and I think it's going to make it definitely very real, and and I think just because we're going to be there in person, very exciting. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. It's going to be a lot of fun. And as you're listening to this episode, Tuesday morning, Rich Kaufman should have posted a uh, his Tuesday column, and I believe it's going to be about the the conundrum of Chase Headley, the, the question mark surrounding him, and I think why, maybe not between you and I on this show, but a lot of among a lot of Yankee fans, he kind of got a free pass last year. Yeah, I mean, he didn't do anything great. He wasn't completely terrible. The first half of the year, we saw a lot of defensive blunders, which we really didn't expect. I think we expected to see him hitting, you know, lower in the probably 250, 260 range. So I, I don't think he was too far off of that. But the defensive blunders, I think if he can can shore that up and just kind of go back to the way his, the back of his baseball card reads, I think he'll have a, a much better season. But you're right. I think he did get a pass just because there were such bigger stories. And Chase Headley's just kind of the guy who – who floats below that line? You know, he's he's the company man. He does his work. He he turns in his reports on time. He, he may, may make a mistake, but here and there, but you can kind of forgive it because he's he's very quiet. So he is kind of that guy. When they got him at the middle of the fourteen season, he had a lot of big hits for the team. I think he had three walk offs, if I can remember correctly. Uh, I remember one against the Red Sox, a big home run. It might have been yep. to tie the game, but but it was a big hit nonetheless. He didn't have any last year that I can think of. No, and you know, hopefully he can come back and and really get get going this year, and we can we could see how he could lock down third base even more. I, I really do believe that the defensive blunders that he had in the first half of the season were fluky. I, I don't know what happened with that. I just uh, I think the ball was hopping weird for him. Yeah, and then and then it got in his head a little bit because you, you the mistakes he was making was on the very routine plays, and I guess that's. That's normally what happens. That's why they're called errors. But you see the the defensive plays where he dives to the bag side, you know, uh, of the of third base, and he makes unbelievable plays. So having having Teixeira back there obviously is going to help him quite a bit because Teixeira probably saved him about ten to fifteen more errors on Aaron throws, you know, with his completely over the top throwing motion. So yeah, that'll be hopefully he can uh, lock that up and clean it up this year. And we all love Greg Bird, but. There is a difference between Bird and Teixeira as far as defense goes at this stage in their careers. No doubt about it. I mean, Teixeira is a uh, you know a perennial Gold Glover. Uh, Greg Bird is just coming up, so I mean, it's it's tough to expect a, a young guy to be performing on the level of a Mark Teixeira. But yes, a healthy Mark Teixeira at first base is a a game changer on the defensive side of the ball. So February eighteenth, two days from today, pitchers and catchers will report to spring training. And uh, one of those pitchers, obviously Tanaka, there was a bit of news uh, that came out this week, and he said he is a little apprehensive about going into spring training and making an opening day start. He is not 100% sure he'll be ready. He had that, that surgery to remove a bone chip in his elbow or a bone spur in his elbow after the season. Do you remember that? Sort of took us all by surprise. Yeah, absolutely. We were, just, we were like, you know, he didn't pitch bad in the playoff game. He kept him in the game. I think he pitched five or six innings, three runs or whatever. The offense couldn't do anything. But 
Then all of a sudden, the week, the next week, it's oh, Tanaka's having elbow surgery, and immediately your your heart you know sinks because you're like oh, elbow surgery, there goes the season. But it was just to remove the bone spur and not to fix the partially torn labrum, which I believe he's still pitching with. Right, and he's pretty much managed that that injury from the injury that he had, and uh, you know midway through the season was not related to it from what the Yankees told us. He pitched with it. He pitched relatively effectively. He wasn't the same. He was definitely giving up more hits and and you know kept, but he was keeping people in the game. He was keeping the Yankees in the game. He was giving good starts. Look, I, I th- this is this is to me a a management of expectations for for us. They're not going to come out and say yes, he's ready. Yes, he's ready. Yes, he's ready. He's going to be the opening day guy because one, they don't want to put that that expectation level in the Yankee fans' head and and everybody who's watching this team. And two, they don't want to put that kind of pressure on Tanaka. God forbid something does arise and and he feels you know discomfort or or fatigue or whatever. So. This, I mean, this absolutely does not surprise me that the fact that they're saying they've brought him on slower than usual because they have, what, $125 million invested in this guy. They're, they're obviously going to be handling him with kid gloves. We know the Yankees' history and how they manage big-name, high-priced free agent uh, acquisitions and guys on their roster. So this is, this is not, not unexpected at all for me. I just want to correct myself. Torn labrum is Greg Bird's injury. Tanaka's dealing with a tear in his elbow. Labrum's in the shoulder. I'm mixing up my Yankees injuries. You know, give me a break. It's early in the morning on Tuesday. But uh, I totally agree with you. Take it easy because uh, I would rather him take it easy at the beginning of the season and be healthy for the remainder of the season than have to spend some time on the disabled list in June or July. And think about the rotation right now. We got guys pretty much fighting for that five spot. So uh, I could, you could absolutely see the Yankees and Joe Girardi going in with a six-man rotation to start the season to keep the arms fresh, getting into, you know, getting into May uh, and, and April and May and, and having them you know, ease into the, the five-man and kind of have them battle it out during the season as well because I don't think we're going to fully un- know who, what the rotation is going to be locked in when opening day comes. So that's another thing to consider for kind of the flexibility that Girardi has right now. You think they'll flirt with a six-man rotation again? Yeah, I, I absolutely think they'll flirt with it. I, I don't think it's going to be something that's going to be all the time, but you know how they're doing. What they did last year is they, they'll skip Tanaka's starts. or they'll Skip CC starts. They'll skip CC starts. So this is something that they're going to implement because I, I really do believe Girardi's going to have to be Creative in the way that he he manages the rotation. We let we you and I love how he how he manages the bullpen and the back of the bullpen with getting guys up with five run leads. One, I think that Chapman helps that out quite a bit. So what we'll start talking about now is Girardi's management of the starting rotation, which is not something usually managers tinker with too much. But I think this year could be something uh, something to look at. The problem with a six man rotation is that it throws it helps some guys and it throws some other guys off. Do you remember when Pineda would go on long rest? How bad he would be? Absolutely, I, he was a totally different pitcher when he didn't throw on his normal rest. Right, and I, I don't know about you, but I'm not. I don't want to mess around with Severino. I want him to be on five days rest. You know get into the swing of pitching like a major league pitcher on a major league roster. Go pitch him every five days. Evaldi's young enough to go every five days. Um, but then there's guys like Tanaka and Sabathia who need an extra day. So I'm trying to figure it out in my head. How do you? How does that compute? How does the math compute if some guys are good with six days and some guys need the five days? 
Yeah, I mean, that's that's going to be a Girardi thing, managing the off days and, and you know, mixing in the, the rotation with the off days to make the math work. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's definitely going to be a challenge, and they're not going to do it all the time. I think when the schedule and the calendar allows for them to do it, especially early, early in the season, they're, they're going to go with that. Um, you know, I'll be, you know, Nova's another one that we haven't talked about who's coming off of, of Tommy John surgery. So we don't really know what to expect for him for a full season. So there's a lot of question marks as far as the durability and, and really what, what Girardi's going to be doing in the beginning of the season with, with this rotation. So it should, it'll be interesting. This is a big year for Nova because he's, he's now going to be fully healthy, going a fully healthy spring training. He pitched the half season after the surgery last year. Usually guys uh, a year removed from the surgery are when they're at their best. We'll see what he has. This is a big year for him because he can, he can really earn himself some future money if he has a good season. No doubt. You know he's put a lot of, of emphasis on coming out of the gate and, and having a good season because you're exactly right. He's, he's working for that next contract right now, and he's working for a, you know, a three- to four-year contract, probably four- to five-year contract if, if, it was, if it worked out well for him. But, yeah, he's, he's right now looking for he's, – he's looking to show not only the Yankees but GMs across Major League Baseball that, hey, this time his John surgery was a success, and I have fully come back from it, and my arm is stronger, and I can pitch, and I can you – know, he's a guy who would throw – who, who would be dependable. I and mean, he's a guy that can throw 200 innings. He's got balls, too. He can pitch in big moments, I think. Yeah, so this is, this is definitely a crucial year, which I think works very well for the New York Yankees. I mean, we have a couple guys like that that, were, you know, that, that, have, that have kind of show-me seasons. Uh, Teixeira is one of them as well. But Nova is definitely a guy who, who has uh, all the incentive in the world to have a good season. Okay, so some other Yankees news is that the Yankees and Araldis Chapman avoided arbitration and agreed to eleven point three two five million bucks, which is uh, a pretty healthy raise, I think, for for Chapman uh, over last year's salary. Um, here's a fun what if game: say Chapman goes out and has the same type of year he's been having the last few seasons, which is top top three or four relief pitchers in baseball. Do the Yankees give him big money in the offseason? They've already got big money tied up in um, Miller. Batances will eventually require big money. Do they also give it to Chapman if he has a good year? Yeah, I think if the if the three-man back end works out the way that everybody's expecting it to, it, w- it, would, be, uh, it would be something that would, would not surprise me. I think you know the Yankees, we all know, have money coming off the books. They're going to be looking to lock down the back end of that bullpen completely. We've seen in the past, in the recent history of baseball, how important the back end of the bullpen is becoming, especially with the you know starters not going as deep as they used to. So get locking down that, that end of the bullpen is, is a significant part of winning in baseball in 2016 and, and into the future. So it really wouldn't surprise me. I, you know, If Chapman has a good year and does well in New York, it would be very beneficial to him to stay in this market as well. I agree, but there is some risk with it. You don't always see big money locked up to multiple guys in the bullpen. It's usually one guy getting the big money and then some other guys who are making a lot less. So there's no um, there's no controversy. There's no issues with egos or anything like that. Um, that that's definitely going to be a challenge for Girardi and the Yankees coaching staff is, I think um, – managing that aspect of the bullpen well i think we've already seen a lot of it though haven't we, we haven't but, we, we've uh, seen miller and batances kind of just say okay no no problem we'll, we'll be the company guy chapman would be the guy that, that is the unknown at this point i would he like is to, the ninth inning guy i would like to see it actually work itself out in the season though yeah 
Yeah, I mean, you're right. It's, talk one thing talk. To, it's one thing to say it in July, or excuse me, in January when the trade happens. It's another thing to to be agreeing upon that in the middle of a playoff race. <clears throat> that being said, Miller and Batantis handled their roles very well. Batantis was a pro last year when we all thought he was going to be the ninth inning guy going into the season. And then Miller pretty much just solidified and took that role over. And he slotted back into the eighth inning and, and was a company man the entire season, was a, was a professional. I, I don't see the, the professionalism of Miller and Batantis you know, swaying off of, of you know, getting their ego in the way. I, I just don't expect that to happen. Just the type of guys they are and they seem to be, I feel like they are truly guys who just want to help the team and don't have big egos. And I think Miller has, has, has shown that not only this past year with his, or this offseason with his comments, but, you know, look at his career. I mean, he started as a starting pitcher coming out of college. He was a, a high draft pick, and, a, and a, everybody thought he was going to be a, a number one starter for the Tigers, I think it was. And he came out of UNC with big aspirations and big promise as a starting pitcher. Then he slotted into the seventh, eighth inning. Then, he, you know, now he's a ninth inning guy. So he's definitely got the flexibility and the mindset to be, uh, you know, moved around and, and not just in one, one spot. What if Chapman blows his first three out of seven saves? That's when things will get interesting with Chapman because we don't know him. We, we don't right. know how he's going to react. We don't know what he's like as far as a, a, a team company guy. Right. You know, we hear, we read, but we don't know. We haven't seen it every day. So that, that, that is the one thing that could be interesting. I'm not worried about the other two. Chapman, I wouldn't say I'm worried about, but he's more of an unknown for sure. He's an unknown factor. And Absolutely. you know Yankees fans. <laughs> I mean, we... We are so freaking spoiled as Yankee fans to have had 20-plus years of essentially dominant closer. You've, you went from Wetland to Rivera, and then the one year Rivera wasn't healthy, Rafael Soriano had a great year, and then Rivera comes back, and then we have Andrew Miller. It's like we haven't had a bad closer since the early 90s. So if if there's any sniff of a closer who is not performing to uh, you know up to level, and we know Andrew Miller can do that, there might be some uh, some rumblings there, and uh, I don't know how Chapman will handle that. That's true. Let's hope that doesn't occur. Oh, and Chapman I miss David Robertson. David Robertson. David Robertson. David Robertson. Yeah, David Robertson had was really held it down for a while too. You're right. We have not had a, a drop off in a long time. So, and honestly, I don't expect any of this to happen. I don't either. I, think, I don't think many people can hit 105 miles per hour, especially when they haven't seen it before. So. Uh, yeah, it's going to be fun to watch, and I, I, I fully expect this back end to, to work. They're, these guys are just too talented and too good to come in and throw their one inning well like they've done in the past, and, and to, you know, there's no, I just don't see long stints of, of things not working well with those three guys. But, but what if games are fun? They are fun. Um, <clears throat> so some other news is that the Yankees released their promo and special events calendar this week. And I'm going – that's what my first featured column is going to be about. I'm going to be power ranking all of the promo giveaways. Um, so look for that this coming Friday. But I do want to call out uh, three important dates, and I also want to ask you a question. <laughs> so the first is uh, June 12th, Old Timers Day. Ordinarily, that's the, the biggest uh, event of the season. But I actually think August 13th, 1996, 20th anniversary World Series team – I think is the biggest date of the season. And my question to you is, I already know what this question is going to be. Can we make that our Bronx pinstripes outing? I am going to work my 
butt off to make that the Bronx Pinstripes outing. Absolutely. I think that would be an amazing day. It really would be. It would be. It's basically like having two old timers day in one year. Exactly. I mean, it's it's uh, and as far as old timers go, the 96 team for a lot a lot of Yankee fans right now who are, you know, under the age of I don't even want to put a cap on it, but it's the most recent amazing team 30 uh, and guys that 35 really... and under 36 and under when you're either a kid or you know in your late teens or, or college days that that 96 team has a special place in your heart but think about this keep going because the the 96 team was also a saving grace team for everybody older than us Very that true. hadn't hadn't seen anything since the early yeah. 80s so i think that 96 team has an extremely special heart, obviously, in, in all Yankee fans. But not only were they our first team that we saw coming out and winning and doing all these things and the core four came about, but it's all they were also the saving grace for a lot of Yankee fans who went through you know a long period of losing. It's very true. I mean, the, they had the late 70s teams, and then it, everything sort of fell off the wheels fast with that 70s team. After Thurman Munson tragically died, I think everything just sort of went to shit, which in a way is understandable. They lost their captain. Um, they had a lot of big egos on that team, obviously Reggie Jackson and a number of other players, and, and it just sort of fell off the wheels quick. And then there were sort of the dark days of the 80s, and all that they really had was, was Donnie Baseball. And the Mets were winning uh, you know, during that time, so Yankees baseball was, was kind of in rough shape until the early or the mid-90s. When you're throwing out the uh, the brothers Perez, Melito and Pasquale, and Steve Howe, who got busted for cocaine, I think like 19 times. That's an exaggeration, but he was busted a lot. Um, yeah, that, you know the late 80s, early 90s. When you're rolling out guys like that, Alvaro Espinosa was our shortstop. We got we make trades for guys named Steve Balboni. I mean, there were things happening that were just that not very Yankee-like, and. So yeah, so I think when that '96 team came in, or it really started before that, because the, the they started getting good before the strike, and then you know made it to the playoffs with Donnie Baseball. Try, you know, unfortunately lost to the Mariners, and then '96 everything came together, and they obviously won the World Series. So yeah, I, I just think that 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 swing going into '96 uh, for I don't know, I, I call it three years. That three year uptick. Um, was was a lot of fun, and then and then boom, you know the promised land came in '96. So I think a, there's a lot of people going to be very excited about this August 13th date. So which is going to make so let's let's put expectations, you know let's 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 manage these expectations as far as getting no I'm 20, already, take, 20 uh, tickets together. No, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying <laughs> it's it's I I have it in my mind. I can't get it out now. Anything less than August 13th is going to be a letdown. Okay. All right. <laughs> then the next day, August fourteenth, is Mariano Rivera Plaque Day. So you know all all the guys. You know everyone. That's going to be a big weekend in the Bronx. That is going to be a week. We're, that's that's definitely the weekend you want to follow Boomer Wells and David Cohn <laughs> on on Twitter because Boomer Wells is going to be just letting the scumbags roll. Oh, unfortunately, Boomer's not on that '96 team though. I know, but you know he's going to be in town. <laughs> he's just going to be in the. He, you he know he's. Be, you know he's going to be there. He might be in the bleachers. Yeah, you know he's going to be there. Um, and I, I mean, do know the bar that they go to, so we, we could do that. No one's more deserving of a plaque than Mariano. so That'll be a, that'll be a lot of fun. I think that whole weekend is just going to be very special and is going to mean a lot for Yankee fans. I know it's going to be a, a – I'm looking forward to that. It's definitely one of the highlights of the year for the season. I would guess Jeter gets a plaque next year, right? Yeah, you know, I think he's going to have to come around a little bit more. I, I, I don't know if they'll – they may wait for him only because of Jeter – you know, not wanting to get have that attention yet. So I'm not sure if it's going to be next year. Uh, you know, it could be 
it could be, you know, another year in the future. I don't know. I think it all, all really depends on, on what Jeter's doing. And the Yankees are, I think, just going to kind of wait for him. Maybe Jeter has a stipulation that he's not going to attend for his plaque day until A-Rod is no longer employed by the team. That could be. There could be something along those lines. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's going to be, especially if A-Rod Corp comes out with a, you know, a, a Players' Tribune rival, there could be, there could be, blood in the water at that point you know you don't want to you don't want to cross those over and have a-rod handing him a, a, a the plaque or anything like that so yeah i could see that but he'll be there for that 96 celebration jeter yeah he'll have to be he'll absolutely have to be so I and mean, i'm sure it would to- make zero sense for him not to so maybe this is the year that they're starting to get him into the the old time not the old timers day but into a lot of the the celebrations for the yankees because i mean obviously he was a giant part of that 96 team um you know he's going to want to be there for mariano's day so that's something the core four guys and Bernie, the Fab Five guys, are. Uh, they always support each other when it comes to you know these these types of things that the Yankees give them. As soon as we started talking about this '96 team, I heard Mattingly there in the background starting to <laughs> yeah, make she, noise. She's 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 a little upset because she's not not a part of that. She is. She's not happy about this. She's not happy about about the the trade and and the fact that she got left out. Yeah, she's Mattingly. Still- that's a, that's, a, that's a somber that, – that's like the, – that's the only thing about 96 that's sour to me was that Mattingly – I mean there's two sides to look at it because you have Tino who came over and was immediately the heir apparent, which was weird because he came from Seattle. It was just a very strange thing and he was not embraced immediately. He was getting booed mercifully. And then, absolutely. And then he, you know, he won over our hearts by playing on the field and just being that tough guy that he is. And just being that 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 gritty guy, but the sad part for '96 for me is because Don Mattingly was my favorite player growing up, and just has always been my guy. Um, them winning the World Series, the you know the year after he retires, was just it was just it was sad for me because it was it was bittersweet because I, I really wanted him. He really deserved that title. I wanted him to be on that team, and you know unfortunately his back just didn't didn't cooperate and the Yankees weren't going to keep him on the roster uh, as he was declining. So, and the reality is the Yankees probably don't win the world series without Tino. At the end of the day, it was a good baseball move because, because Mattingly's injuries were absolutely becoming a big factor. So yeah, it was just, it was just sort of fortunate because I know a lot of people have the same sentiment as I do where, you know, we wanted Donnie baseball, who was our guy, the captain to get that world series ring uh, on the New York Yankees. And it's just strange that he came in such a time where the Yankees have 26 titles and Don Mattingly never got one because of the, the, you know, the time frame and the era that he played in. So yeah, that was a uh, bittersweet for me, but obviously more, more sweet than bitter for 96. Do you remember a few episodes ago, we, we had the question um, from the, the, the odds maker in London about um, the, the world series odds. And if we agreed with them, Yes, absolutely. And the Yankees were below the the Red Sox, but they were ahead of the Blue Jays, I think. Uh, I think the Cubs were first, Dodgers were up there and all that. Well, Vegas came out with their over-under odds and set the Yankees over-under at an even 85 wins. The Red Sox are at 85.5 wins, and the Blue Jays are at 87 wins. I am pretty surprised the Blue Jays are are at 87 and the Yankees and Red Sox are below them. I mean, the Blue Jays, I'm not saying they're going to suck, but they lost... uh, pretty key player in david price yeah and i don't know if you remember do you remember what the odds were for the red sox weren't they like astronomically high top five top <laughs> yep, they three, were something like that? i think it was third or fourth yeah so 
so the fact that we're only half a game underneath them, I don't know. Kind of what this leads me to believe is that they have no clue what the hell is going to happen in the AL East. There's no clear... Which I understand. There, yeah, there's no clear favorite, and maybe they gave the Blue Jays the, the 87 because they were the division winners from last year. Um, you know, they got... They got some. They got a couple guys coming back from injury. Uh, they the majority of their offense is still there, and that's going to be a full season with Tulowitzki. So there's going to be obviously they're going to be in the hunt. The Red Sox got a lot better. Vegas always always is 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 a Red Sox fan for whatever reason. There's money on the Red Sox every year. Um, so yeah, I do believe that the Yankees are going to have a better season than the Red Sox. I don't expect as big of a deal for the Red Sox as most people do. Well, they got big names: Kimbrell and David Price. But, yeah, that's a bookend. One every you, five days, that's but, a bookend. But the rest they of it, finished in last place last year. <laughs> but the Red Sox are also known from going to from first from last to first. It They've done it a couple one times. Time. One time, yeah. So this is, but it's recent, right? And and Vegas remembers this, and people who bet on these games and the season remember this. And when they see David Price and they see uh, Craig Kimbrell at the end, with you know, they have a strong bullpen. I mean, they got that kid from. Uh, from Seattle, mm-hmm. his name is eluding me. But the kid Hunt, from Seattle, Hunter or or something like that. I forget his name. He he was he was in Seattle. So how the I mean, there's only one guy I remember from Seattle last year, but and I barely remember him. Nelson Cruz. Nelson Cruz, obviously, because <laughs> he played with Orioles. But um, so they got the the dude from uh from Seattle who was who's going to be probably their seventh eighth inning guy. Um, then they have the two Japanese guys in the back end who are who are you know one obviously they were performing very well. Um, so they have a good, they have a formidable back end of the rotation of the bullpen. But to me, their rotation is still a giant question mark. Yes, they have David Price. Yes, they have an ace. They have a lockdown guy every five days. But they're rolling out four and five starters the rest of the time. Yeah, Porcello, um, Buckholtz, Wade Miley, all Wade those Miley, guys. No, Wade Miley was traded for the dude, I think, for to Seattle. So it's oh, the other guy. Okay. Yeah, Who's Joe, guy? Joe. <laughs> I don't remember his name. Joe Pitcher. Yeah, he played. He played for St. Louis. I think he throws real hard. Remember, he came out and yeah. he was he, he struck out like sixteen guys against us at the end of last year. Yep. He's not a big stature guy, but he throws real hard and he wears glasses. Anyway, that dude. I, I'm I'm glad I'm not remembering their names because they're on the Red Sox, and I just it, it's you know it, that makes it's sense. So funny. Uh, as I get older, I'm getting worse and worse with names. I'm like my dad. I always used to yell at him, like, "Why can't you remember this guy's name?" You know, when I was 12 years old and I played, you know, my PlayStation every day, so I knew every roster inside and out. I have to do this every week for me to remember things. So this is Joe Kelly. You, yeah, Joe Kelly. You and me recording this podcast is helping my memory. It's like saving my memory. It's like prolonging it by years. Eduardo Rodriguez should be okay too. He's he, he they got him from the Orioles in that Andrew Miller trade. He's a okay. lefty. He's and, and not to mention they have um, they have the their their minor league system is chock full of pitchers. Mm-hmm. So their number one pitcher who didn't have a very good year last year, the kid he looks Henry like Owens. Henry Owens is is definitely they they see as a big part of that rotation. I so, was thoroughly unimpressed with him when he pitched against the Yankees. Um, I know he was their number one pitching prospect, but he was throwing like eighty nine miles an hour. Yeah, he had a little Kayagawa going on, didn't he? He wasn't well, locating well. like he wasn't locating like like they like I was expecting him to locate, and he definitely didn't have anything on that on that fastball. So I don't know. I don't know what what he is. You know, I don't see him as a dominant guy. The Yankees I don't know if they expect him. him to be just like a crafty, uh, you know, crafty left-handed pitcher. I, I don't know. So they rocked him at Fenway late in the season. I was at that game. Uh, I remember Greg Bird hit a big three-run homer. 
Yeah, and he just you're right. Like you said, he wasn't impressive. So but I, I guess they're, they're they're banking on some of their minor league guys to come up and step up too. And and Joe Kelly, I think, had a down season. They're expecting a better year from him. So we'll see, man. We'll see what they are. We know that their outfield is blazing fast, mm-hmm. has a lot of talent, and they're moving Hanley from left field to first base. So they have a lot of that. Now we're getting into I'm getting into like a, a breakdown of the Red Sox, which we don't need to do yet. But but yeah, so I mean, I I, I understand how they're going to jump. Their offense definitely had better second half of the year. Um, so if they can if they can lock down their pitching a little bit more, they'll definitely be a better team. But I think Vegas is on to something with the 85, 86, 87 wins being that might win the division. Yeah, it's going to be a dogfight again. It's going to be a dogfight. No but doubt. everyone will be within three or four games of each other. I agree. Totally agree. And I know the um, the Rays and the and the Orioles are sort of in that second tier in the division, but they're not far behind. That's right, and the Orioles, you know, locked down their franchise player this year. So, you know, they, that guy's got a lot of confidence going into the season. Did they sign Giovanni Gallardo yet? No, but it's been like a. I don't think they've signed him as of right now as we're recording. But all I've been hearing about is them going to sign him for for weeks now. It's been like a soap opera dragging on. <clears throat> um, so last night I put out a Twitter uh, a tweet uh, asking for some Twitter questions, and I, I got an interesting one from Mason Gambino Ten. And he sent me a link to a New York Post article, and he said, Thoughts on Mateo's comments saying he wants to be the next Jeter. And while that's a little misleading, Mateo didn't directly say he wants to be the next Jeter. He did pick number two in single A last year, and he said it's because he has always looked up to Derek Jeter, and he wants to model himself after Jeter and what he did in his career. Um, I mean, what are your thoughts on on Mateo showing that, that kind of confidence? Yeah, I think this is a story that is a product of middle of February before pitchers and catchers were, were scrounging, looking for things to, to write about. Say. The New York Post wrote about this. You know, he put the they put the word Jeter in the in the headline and people go to read it. I understand that. It's the absolute truth. Anytime we put anything about Jeter or anything about the core four on Facebook, people go and read it. It's just it's a known factor. People love reading about Jeter, whether it's on the field or off the field. The comments from Mateo. I mean, like you said, he, he didn't come out and say he wants to be he's going to be the next Derek Jeter. He came out and said that Derek Jeter's a guy that I have followed that I know a lot about. He hadn't met him in person, he said, but that he knows his career. He knows what he did throughout his entire career. And it's a guy he wants to emulate. And absolutely, why would you not want your shortstop of the New York Yankees who started wearing number two in the minor leagues as kind of a an ode to Derek Jeter to – to mirror what this guy has done and to really just kind of model your career after the way that Jeter per, you know, carried on his career. So I think it's, I think it's great. I think it's great that Mateo is looking up to Derek Jeter and looking at his season, at his career as, as one that he wants to emulate. So I think it's all positive things and there's zero, zero cockiness in that, in those comments and zero, zero arrogance. I think, I think it's just him, you know, looking up to a guy. The only bad thing about this is once he goes from AAA to the majors, he's going to have to change his number. Yeah, and that's fine. You know, he'll 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 pick another two. Twenty-two. You know, and, yeah, and you go from there. Take Robbie Cano's old number. Who? <laughs> um. All right. So, any more Yankees thoughts before we move on to uh, the Indians and Twins previews, which is what we're going to be doing this week? No, man, I'm just excited for Thursday. I'm excited to see guys throwing baseballs in warm weather on, on television. It's uh, <laughs> it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. You're excited for guys to be throwing baseballs in warm weather yes. on television. Yes, on television, because I'm not going to be there yet. But I will be there soon, right? <laughs> yes. All right. 
Indians. <laughs> <laughs> that was a weird comment. <laughs> Indians. 81 wins last year, but they were in the playoff pictures as late as, uh, you know, middle September last year. Definitely, I think, overachieved partially because the Tigers stunk, which we talked about last week. Terry Francona, I think you and I both agree, is a pretty good manager, so he he rallies that team. Um, I think he gets a lot out of them considering who they have on their roster. Um, Their strengths are their starting rotation. Kluber, Salazar, and Carrasco should be pretty formidable. And I know we talked a lot about Carrasco and Salazar potentially being traded, maybe in a Brett Gardner trade. But but those three guys um, are are pretty damn good. Yeah, I, I think Kluber kind of had a, a little bit of a slump coming back from his Cy Young, but you know he he started to, to pitch better. He's definitely a guy who is going to really lock down the top of that rotation. Salazar is a guy who came back and bounced back last year after kind of a down year. Um, you know he's he's had a lot of hopes. As a prospect, they have a lot of expectations for him, and you know his command has been a big issue. I think early in his career, so if he can if he can really settle in and become that number two guy um, with Carrasco, obviously who's who's a solid pitcher, I think they they do have a, a a really good one through three. And the thing about those three guys is they can all shut you down on any given night. Absolutely, which is which makes for a dangerous rotation. Is you could go into a three game series and face those three guys and you score two runs in the three games and you're like, what the hell just happened? So yeah, and and that's and it's also a team. You know, I know we'll talk about the offense in a minute, but they don't have any just you know major guys that you're super scared about. They have guys who are who are, are good run producers, but they're the type of team that's going to scrap across a couple runs. And if these guys have a good outing, like you just said, you could be like, oh, you know, you you, you walk out of there losing two of three, and you don't know how that happened, but. Um, yeah, they're they're kind of a sneaky team. Yeah, those three guys are definitely the strength of their team. Other than those, you know, their their lineup I think is mediocre at best. Francisco Lindor had a great rookie season. He's a 21 or 22 year old. He's 21, shortstop, definitely one of the most exciting players in baseball. But he's just one season into his career. I expect him to have a little bit of a sophomore slump. So, um, you know, the pieces around him in that lineup leave some you know some things to be desired uh kipnis and and brantley are two of their big players but but no one in that lineup sticks out and you say that guy is um i don't know what the level to use you know that guy's a perennial all-star you know offensive player yeah there's really not many guys you pitch around right there's not a guy that's a a good way to put it yeah yeah there's not a guy you would go in there and be scared to pitch to i think i think michael brantley would probably be your guy um but you know up until a couple of years ago, he hadn't really put it together. He had a breakout season two years ago, followed it up with a nice season. So I think we kind of know who he is. You know, he he drove in what eighty some run, eighty runs last year, hit maybe around twenty home runs. So that that's kind of the guy he is. He's not. But that's I'm, a product of being in the middle of an order in Major League I, Baseball, no doubt. So so he 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 can put some numbers up. But again, like you said, you know, going back to. Going back to the the manager, Tito Francona, I think he's actually one of the biggest parts of this team because, like you said, I have a lot of respect for Francona and what he did for the Red Sox and and those teams. I think he he made them a lot better. He manages the the team very well. Um, and I think young players really like playing for him. He's definitely a players guy. He definitely he, players. He backs guy. his guys and he seems like you know he has fun in the dugout and just just has a su- full support of his team. And 
you know, some additions that we haven't talked about yet. But Mike Napoli's a guy who he's Ooh, bringing back. Ooh, scary. They, they, I know they've had him, but Napoli's a shell of what he used to be. Oh, I mean, God. he he was hitting under the Mendoza line for a long time last year. I think he he played for the he got shipped out to the to the Tex, or to the Rangers mm-hmm. last year and had a little bit of a better second half of the season, but he was invisible for a long time. Yeah, the Red Sox basically gave him gave him away for peanuts. So we'll see we'll see if Francona can get something out of this guy, bringing him back to kind of familiar routines or whatnot. Uh, Roger Davis is another guy they brought in who's going to give them another speed element. But he's a guy to to me who just you know he's a nice player, but he wasn't what we expected him to be when he came up with the Blue Jays. We thought he was going to be a much better player, I think. Um, so we'll see. I think Francona is going to get the most out of these guys that they could possibly he could possibly get, and I think that's a that's kind of their X factor is their is their manager. Um, but. You know, I, I don't expect them to do any better than last year. I think they will probably fall five or six games short of what they did last year, actually. So they were a 500 team last year. You expect them to be, you know, 76 wins? Yeah, I think with the resurgence of the Tigers, which we I fully expect, I think you do too, that they're gonna they're gonna see a little bit more of a drop off in in wins. So you know, I don't think they've they've helped themselves out enough to to even stay where they are. I don't think their their additions really really help the team very much. But you're missing the fact that they signed Jabba to a minor league deal. The return to the midges. I don't know, man. Jabba's like that's his kryptonite or that was his kryptonite. Everything seems to be his kryptonite now. But yeah, that's 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 interesting him going back to the land of bugs. Yeah, they I think they signed him some point last year. Uh we put something up. He's on been the on like 30 about, rosters last yeah. year. He was on the minor leagues a lot. Um, yeah, I agree with you overall that the Indians will probably take a step back. Um, long gone are the days when they were scoring a thousand runs. Very long gone. The Twins, they finished second in the Central last year with 83 wins. So, you know, two wins better than the, than the Indians, but they were second. They definitely overachieved as well. Um, one thing I want to, I want to talk about with the Twins is what the hell happened to Joe Maurer? Yeah, injuries. I guess injuries just took him. Out. He he just he just has that. He's been a. He, I think he's one of those guys where the the catching position really caught up to him, and he just didn't age well. I thought the same thing, but then I looked at his stats, and he's been playing DH and first base for the last two seasons. He hasn't caught one game in the last two seasons, and he's hitting like two seventy. And up until that point, he was catching full time, and he was always over three hundred. He was a th- career three twenty three hitter. Yeah, but saying... you see a lot of the time where guys are catching for uh, most of their life, and they just hit a, a point that's a cliff. I mean, they just their body starts to break down, whether they're catching still or not. I mean, his knees still have the you know the the damage for however long he was catching, and it just doesn't seem like he's been healthy. It doesn't seem like you're right. He hasn't the bat speed's not there. You know, he, possibly his no lower half is either. Zero power. I mean, he never really was a big power guy in the he first hit 30 place. Home run. He the season he won the MVP he hit thirty home runs. Wow, I didn't. I would never have. I didn't remember him hitting thirty. But. And, and I think that was in like hundred and twenty games. Yeah, that's impressive. I, I don't know. I just the only thing that that makes any sense is physical tolls. The physical toll on his body of being a, a catcher in that grind just just deteriorated his body, and he just hasn't aged well. Yeah. I mean, that happens, doesn't it? It does. Eight years ago, he he was a lock for the Hall of Fame, and I think now that's um, probably a long shot. Um, Yeah. Sucks to see, because I always liked Joe Maurer. Yeah, he was a good – he was the face of the Twins for a long time, like a real true face of the Twins. And he was a guy – he was a professional. He was a guy that that did the right things. He was a a very hard out. He was a a team leader. They had good teams, you know, for for a little while there, and 
They have the Eminem boys. Yeah, it's a shame to see both those guys. The Eminem boys. Both those guys kind of fell off. Well, the the Morneau thing with that concussion totally. Concussion, yeah, he definitely never rebounded from that. That's, I mean, that's a crazy, you know, you you see so many guys get concussions. Some are fine after a week, but then it just seemed like he never recovered. Yeah, again, it just goes down to the human body and how how you age and how you react to certain things. And obviously his his body did not like being hit in the head or, and and those symptoms lasted for a very long time. Pretty much took him out for like two seasons. Yeah, uh, it's more than I can remember any, anybody else being, being knocked out from a head injury. So... So yeah, it's kind of unfortunate to see how those guys are, are, are in you know kind of finishing up their careers. So some of the uh, changes on their roster, obviously they traded Aaron Hicks to the Yankees for Jr. Don't call him, or is it John Ryan? Don't call him Jr. Murphy or the other way yes. around. I always forget. Uh, don't call him Jr. Don't call him Jr. <laughs> don't do that. Um, I mean that's uh, I think the Yankees still think the Yankees got the better of that deal, but I think they probably felt confident in trading away Aaron Hicks, who was their primary center fielder, because. They're hoping uh, this guy Buxton, Byron Buxton, who was the number two overall pick in 2012, who got hurt last year, they're expecting him to be an everyday player for them this year. Yeah, and Buxton's a guy who was the number one prospect in baseball for for I think since he came out. I mean, he 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 had a he was lighting up, just torching the minor leagues. And when he came up last year, and I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be completely transparent. The only reason I know this is because he was on my fantasy baseball team. He came up and he was horrible. I mean, he was hitting in the low 200s. He wasn't. He just wasn't playing well when he came up. And then he had the injury that took him out. So we'll see if he can rebound and be the guy that they think he's going to be. But it's kind of surprising. Now that we're looking at this team, that they got rid of Hicks with Buxton being, at this point, to me, he's a question mark because he had how many at-bats? We looked it up before. It was 46 games. 46 games. I mean, that's a decent size to, to take a look at a player. It's actually and, uh, pretty much exactly what Greg Bird played. Okay, so it's a good, it's a good, it's a good little chunk to take a look at a player and to see what he can be. So going into the season, you know, him batting two hundred six or two hundred eight or whatever it was, knowing knowing that, that to me is a big question mark. And then you add on top of that, Tory Hunter, yep, retiring, who drove in eighty runs last year, hit twenty some home runs, which was very under the radar. I didn't realize he was that productive. But like you said, with with Brantley, that there very well could have been just a product of sitting in the middle of the lineup around uh, Sano and Dozier, but. But he's a guy that they have to replace that production now, the, the two players. So it's kind of surprising, unless they have some minor league guys that you know we're just not too privy on and we don't know as much about that are coming up behind Buxton as well. That, that, that outfield is a big question mark. Absolutely. And you need defense in that outfield. That outfield is gigantic. When you have Philip Hughes pitching every five days, you need defense in that outfield. <laughs> a lot of long fly balls. Yeah, you need guys to cover some ground. Yeah, they're building a Yankees B squad out there in Minnesota between Jared Murphy, Eduardo Nunez, and Phil Hughes. We know Nunez can't play the outfield. He can't even play the short. He can't even play the infield. So, but nobody rounds second and have has his helmet fly off better than Nunez. That is true. That is true. Um, Kyle Gibson is um, pretty solid. He was their, I guess, their ace pitcher last year. Doesn't really, you know, put fear in you that you're going to get shut down by Kyle Gibson, but. Um, they also have uh, Irvin Santana, who got busted for PEDs um, last year. Came back, Bird hit two long home runs off of him, and then he bitched and moaned to the media after that. You remember that? No, I don't. Oh, Santana yeah. bitched and moaned. Yeah, Santana was blamed it on Yankee Stadium that uh, Bird hit two home runs, but uh, the average distance of the two home runs was like 417 feet. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I'm remembering. Yes. Um, 
Uh, the strengths of this 417 team... takes you out of most parks, by the way. Uh, yeah, pretty sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the strengths of this team, in my opinion, are the back end of the bullpen. Glenn Perkins is a good closer. And also, the middle of the order, Sano and Dozier have some pop. Yeah, Dozier's a guy who he's not going to hit for average, but he will steal some bases. He 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 can hit the ball. He can hit the long ball. And he's just an overall good good baseball player. And then Sano is is going to be you know he, I think he's a stud. I think he's coming up and he can mash. This kid can play, and he's going to be a, a big thumper in the middle of their lineup. He's a big that, guy too. That's a guy. That's a guy that you you could pitch around. Like that's a guy that that scares you in the middle of the lineup. Whereas the Indians have nobody. Sano's a guy that that'll make you think twice. Do you remember the A Rod three homer game? Uh, yes, in Minnesota in July, the one that John Ryan Murphy hit the the go ahead home run. Absolutely, that was, hit, that was one of my favorite games of the year. Yeah, Sano hit a moon ball that game. Yes, um, the, you know, upper upper tank at Minnesota. Yeah, I remember it. I remember yeah. it. That was um that was a big that was a that was an awesome game. But yeah, Sano has Sano has a lot of pop. He's a young guy. He's a Cuban guy, right? Kim was he Cuban? Uh, Dominican, I believe. Dominican. I, I'm thinking of the guy from the White Sox came over from Cuba. Anyway, he Abreu. Abreu, thank you. He is uh, he's definitely a, a solid force in the middle of that lineup. It's gonna and he's just gonna get better. So But you know what the weaknesses of this team are? There's just not enough strengths. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. It, it's like they're a thin team. They're, they're, if everything breaks right, maybe they can win an 82, 83 games again. But is that gonna be enough to to make the playoffs? I, I just don't think so. I just feel like the twins have always been like that. <laughs> I feel like the twins have never ever not since not since the days of like Kirby Puckett, like going way back, have they had those those guys that were like giant all-stars. But they've always they've uh, with Gardenhire, when Gardenhire was the manager, he was always a guy who got the most out of his talent. He had didn't really have oh, that. I much totally talent. disagree. I, I don't think he got I think he fizzled in the playoffs every year. No, it was I a couple agree. of years in with the, the playoffs, twins. but he got to the playoffs. He got to the playoffs. But the twins had some pretty good teams in the mid two thousands. You know, when you Santana as their ace, um they had uh Maurer and Murnau in the middle of the order who were who were hitting well. Hunter was still in his prime when he was back with them. They had a, a pretty damn good team and they would get to the playoffs and get swept by the Yankees every year. No, I, I agree with that. I'm talking after that, after kind of that era when they they still would put a pretty good product on the field and they would they would compete every day for guys that are not just weren't you know just not big name guys. So um, that's 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 definitely. I just I don't expect the the Twins to be an overwhelming team, but I definitely expect them to be a thorn in the side for a lot of people. Not named the New York Yankees. I agree. The Yankees own them. Um, all right. So next week, let's do the White Sox and the Mariners. We'll move on to the AL West. Sounds good. The White Sox are definitely a team for us to talk a lot about because they're, I think, going to be another team that's going to rebound and, and, and have a good season. Um, yeah, definitely. I definitely agree. They, 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 um, we'll get into it next week, but they underachieved last year as well. No doubt. Um, all right, so um, we're getting closer and closer every week to spring training, um, getting more excited by the day. Any last words before we get out of here? No, next week we get to talk about about Yankees baseball players that we see on the field throwing baseballs to each other on, on TV. TV. <laughs> so yeah, I'm excited to talk about that and talk about some uh, some stuff that we can actually watch. Yes, uh, again, check out the featured columns every day, Monday through Friday. Those ten o'clock, ten o'clock, ten a.m. So go check it out now as you're listening to this. All right, we'll talk to you guys next time. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, 
We'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.